HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Welcome to Dye Green. I am your host, Max Sussman. I am recording this intro solo for the very first time in the history of this podcast as Kate is off running some tours in Ireland. We're deep into tour season and she is abroad and I'm back here. So hence, you get to hear me do the intro. We did record this episode together, so you get to hear Kate's voice during the interview. This week's show is with Kevin Burke. A few months back, we had the real pleasure of hosting Kevin Burke here in the States to do a couple of pop-ups. The food that Kevin cooks was incredible, and it was his first time in the States, so we had the great honor of hosting him here. We did three separate dinners, and they were all incredibly well-received. Hopefully the first of many Irish chefs popping up with Bog and Thunder in the States, but more on that to come. But for now... We want to focus on Kevin. Kevin is the chef and partner at Library Street, relative newcomer on the Dublin restaurant scene that was recently awarded the Best Emerging Irish Cuisine Award at the Irish Restaurant Awards. Kevin spent some time working at the two Michelin star Patrick Jubo early in his career in Dublin before heading to London, where he lived and worked for eight years before returning home to Ireland. Today's episode, we talked to Kevin about the inspiration behind Library Street, why it's important for chefs to go abroad to practice their craft, and some of the non-food parts about what it takes to build a great restaurant. Stuff like keeping your staff happy, and getting equipment, and how to budget, and of course menu planning, and getting the best ingredients, and everything in between. It's a really awesome conversation, particularly I think Kevin and Library Street are kind of at a crossroads They came on so strong, but you get the feeling that they're really going to be around for a while and continue to improve their craft. And it's going to be one of those restaurants that you can kind of keep going back to year after year. And that's sort of those are some of our favorite kinds of restaurants, places that uh, gain a timelessness to them and really get integrated in the into the community. So uh, without further ado, here is the interview with Kevin Burke of Library Street. Kevin, welcome to Die Green. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, delighted. Wonderful. I feel like your first chef we've had on the show where you've we've visited with you in the States first. Oh, really? No way. Well, we ate at your oh, no. restaurant. We'd been to your restaurant. I know. We didn't I was, know you. But he's not the first chef that we've had on that we've been to their restaurant. So I'm just trying to figure out what this special occasion exactly is here. I've done, I've done both. Yeah, you've came exactly. to me and I came to Well, you. you've also driven around town with our whole family in tow. So that's certainly... <laughs> For like a week straight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's going to exactly. be like a, we're going to have like an EGOT of Diet Green where it's like, check, been to their restaurant, check, been on the show, check, come to the States, check. Okay. What's left? Well, it is left. I don't know what's left to do. Well, we're happy to be talking to you, even though yeah, we spent a week talking to you when you were here. We did some awesome dinners together here in Michigan. And we're really looking forward to talking to you about about your work. 
Yeah, we did. That week was, I didn't know what to expect when you guys invited me over. I sort of like, if I'm, if I'm being honest, when you messaged me, I said yes straight away because I've never been to the States. I'm like, I'm going to the States. It's going to be great. Um, and then I didn't know what to expect. But when I, when I, when I got there, there was the, uh, the setup when I seen the restaurant, I was blown away. Like, and even like you guys picked me up at the airport. And I felt that we sort of connected really well and got on really well. So like, there was a great feeling from the very beginning and the whole week was yeah exceptional. I couldn't have, I've done a few things where like there's always some mini disaster or something goes wrong. Either I forget something or something, an ingredient isn't the same, like either by not explaining it right. This is the one thing I've ever did where like absolutely where everything was like exactly how I want. Like the kitchen was, had everything that my kitchen had, but more and probably a little bit better. So like, um, like if anything went wrong, it was completely down to my fault. Like it wasn't down to any of the anything else. But I thought it went really well. I, I uh, yeah, I, I probably yeah favorite favorite event I've probably ever done. Oh man, that's amazing. Um, yeah, we had a blast too. Okay, all you aspiring other chefs <laughs> considering coming to the U.S. for a Bog and Thunder pop up, now you know it, it's a it's a good experience. It works well. Like yeah, exactly. Line them up. Well, you also had that suitcase full of treasures that you brought with you and that was right. something that we definitely never seen before it's like my little uh, what's that blanket called a like security blanket i'll never not go anywhere feeling over prepared nearly right. like it would be like if i sort of recorded the week before the day before leaving like i'm running around like a, thank god for my other chefs going like do you really need to bring that and i'm like oh Okay, yeah, right, right. It's fine. I'll leave it. I'll leave Would have had a whole other, a whole like, other suitcase. If I had an unlimited like wand of like ability to bring stuff over, like we would have had a trailer, like because I overthink things and I'm like, oh, I, I better just bring it, like. But it was great. We want to talk about not just what we've done together, but about you and your story, and to share a lot of that with our listeners. So maybe we should start with your background. And you grew up in Dublin, and now you have a restaurant in Dublin. What was your relationship to food growing up? Were you always interested in being a chef? Did you have a lot of food in your family? Was it something you came into later? How did that whole thing start for you? Like sort of like actually chefing, like I probably got into it a little bit later than most. I think uh, I was like 20, 21 when I actually, like I was 20 when I went into college. But like I didn't have this exceptional upbringing where I was like, uh, we spent the summers in the south of France and we like, those sort of fairy tale stories that like some chefs of upbringing might have or whatever. But like, I think what you, what you don't really, what you take for granted, especially in Ireland is that like, we like food, like really good food is sort of all around us. So like I'm from Dublin, but my family are from Cork. So, um, and my granny and my mom's side would have had the farms. So we'd spend our whole summers growing up down in Cork on the farm. Like, I was just like a normal kid running around, loving to be washing the cow's milk, loving to just be running around the farm. And like, uh, and that was just normal. And then dinners, like you must have the best of everything, like they just in the field or um, you would have to, but you would take it for granted. But like everyone was always cooking. My granny would be cooking or my mom would be cooking. And I was just always drawn to that. Like I was just maybe that I was kind of, I would maybe was probably seen as a bit of a nuisance. Like I always wanted to be helping in everything whether it was my granddad on the farm or when i got back if my granny was making bread i wanted to do it like my brother have a brother that's like four years older and he wasn't like that at all like he was yeah we were sort of growing up we were so different like i was always wanting to be outside or helping in the kitchen and that was my sort of and then going on from that and um, yeah i was always really hooked to food I don't know, it's hard to describe like you felt a real I'm not going to get too like thinking about it, but there was definitely a connection to food. Like even though something as simple as being obsessed with cooking shows, like I'd be always having any cooking show you'd have on like market kitchen or Jamie or whatever, like, and everyone else would hate it. Cause that's all I would watch, but I never watched it going as if I'm studying. I just found it mesmerizing. Like I just like every bit was mesmerizing and it was always, but I never said in my head, I was like, it would be cool to be a chef and, like I'd be secretly Googling. You always the thing about growing up, I don't know if most chefs get it, but sort of the 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 your parents are always trying to drive it to the best careers possible as they think, whatever, not in a pushy way, but like one big driver always like, oh no, like you're always pushed to not push, but 
recommended careers that earn more money. So like a doctor is great and working in the bank is great. That's always a uh, suggestion of what you see around you. But uh, I might be like secretly Googling like uh, salaries of chefs and here, here. And you that know did I mean? not turn you away from the career path. Fascinating. <laughs> not really. Uh, no, like, but like, so like I didn't go fully into it. Like I was always half thinking of doing it. And then when it was time to choose, so like we do our leaving cert, you have to do your application process of what you're going to do. Um, I didn't pick it. I, I went on, I was going to be a physio. That was the plan, my plan. I was really big into sports and stuff like that. So that always happens to guys that are into sports. They go like, I'm going to do sports science or I'm going to be a physio. Um, so I wanted to do that. So I, I started doing that. And I didn't get enough points to do straight away. So I went to Sligo and did health science and physiology. But I was always thinking, of, I, I looked up culinary arts in Dublin and I was always thinking about it. And I always sort of half thought like, oh, maybe. And yeah, so I did uh, health science physiology for like two years. But then I just it didn't not that I didn't want to do it like I, I enjoyed what I was doing but I wanted to try cooking more I always thought like at least I could try it now I'm I'm young enough to give it a go and if it doesn't work I can always do something else but I didn't really think that way I knew it was going to work I sort of knew that I liked cooking enough I didn't know much about restaurants I knew nothing like I knew what I knew what Jamie Oliver told me in telly I knew what market kitchen like watching these dudes they were like TV chefs and stuff like that. But some of them were like really good chefs. And uh, that's what I knew. But I knew I loved, like I really, uh, yeah, I knew I could do it. So that's where it started. Like I went to culinary arts. I started that. I definitely probably knew the least out of most people in terms of, in terms of like restaurants and chefs around the world. That wasn't really a, I never entered that world of being super knowledgeable that way, but I knew I could work really hard and I'm pretty sure if you show me something I could do it really well that was I think I had sort of I was ignorantly confident um so it started up there but then like even at that like I went to college and I really liked that that was good and um I sort of got set up I did that for so like it was a degree course and I like it was meant to be for four years but I got into I got into a really good restaurant um and um uh, restaurant Patrick Gilbo like in my start of my second year and that was like Ireland's only two star like it would be considered like be it, no not considered it, it it was and is one of the still best restaurants in the country so when I got in there I sort of knew uh, I sort of knew that I this is what I wanted to do and two more years in college wasn't really going to be um uh, yeah it wasn't that a, no I just made a decision that I wanted to work I always I preferred working I preferred uh, working hard and learning that way rather than um, uh, waiting another two years to be able to do what I felt that I could do there and then. So, so that's where I began in Gibos and that's where it all sort of started. So, uh, yeah. And um, what else? Will I keep going? The whole shebang? Yeah, I mean, we are curious about your time in London and what made you decide to go there. And maybe as part of that, you know, we're also curious about how what you think about how important it is to get experience overseas a lot of the uh, restaurants that we go to and a lot of the restaurants that people talk about either have irish chefs that have spent significant time in other european countries or maybe the states and then come back to ireland to open something or maybe our immigrant chefs you know who have experience in their home countries that then come to ireland and open restaurants so I was hoping you could talk a little bit about how important you think it is to get sort of that outside of Ireland perspective as a chef and then maybe talk a little bit about how you did that. Yeah. So like number one, like like my experience, I think you have to move away to sort of learn. And I sort of I realized so I was in Gibos for like I was there for like a year and a half and like it was super like I sort of I owe Gibos mostly like that's where I sort of learned my sort of ability to know how to work hard organization and um that's where i learned learned from them like like it was the best restaurant in the country so they were super proud but it was super super hard and i was there for a year and a half then i felt like i wanted to sort of move on so i left for like six months to a place called the chop house and um it wasn't the same it was kind of more relaxed it was kind of a gastropub and i enjoyed it there but i missed the sort of regiment of 
Gretchen Batch-Gilbo where like everyone has a certain way, is a certain place. And I realized that's what I enjoyed about working in a kitchen. So I stayed there for another year and a half. And then like I sort of, I moved up. I got to go onto the fish section. I learned as much as I could there. Um, and it's like everything and everywhere you go, you sort of, you always want to feel like you're progressing or seeing something new or moving on to the next thing. And um, I always felt that in order to sort of, to grow and to get more experience you have to leave a kitchen because kitchens but people don't really understand like every restaurant especially restaurants been there for like 30 years like i think gibas was there for 35 years and i was there everything is already set you have your set dishes that generally you do every year within the seasons you might tweak sort of bits and bobs so like you're not going to learn every technique and see different flavors in the one restaurant because um every chef has their own style and, and and enjoy certain flavors so they're going to keep using them and find connects find uh, techniques that works best for them so in order to learn as much as it can so you can decide what's the best way you have to move kitchen like especially when you're younger so like and that's not just techniques or recipes it's like techniques of like managing and seeing what ways certain chefs are treated whether it's a good way or a bad way or how you felt in certain instances as a chef in a different sections or a different uh, uh, role um, you sort of need to learn that in different kitchens so I think I did my time in Gibos and I wanted to move on so um, at the time like Gibos was the best restaurant in the country and there was nowhere else to go like up because it was the only two star and then like you had really really good restaurants but doing the similar food like fine dining French cuisine so like there was nothing new for me to do and then um, I sort of knew I had to leave in order to, I was always going to come back to Ireland. Like I looked at going to Europe, going to France. Like at one stage I was looking to go into the States. Um, but like, I never had a draw of traveling or like to leave forever. So London was just the obvious choice. I had friends there. Like it's, it's just so easy to do. And, and the amount of restaurants that are there is like mind blowing. So I, I just made, I actually decided like, before I went, I decided the week before. So I rang my friend. I left Gibos. My mom opened up a cafe and I was sort of helping her start that up. And then um, I just decided I'm going to go. So my auntie was going to Wales with her, with my cousins one weekend. So I said, I'm coming. Um, and then I just moved over. I just said, I knew that I would get a job quite easily because um, my experience at Batch Gilbo, I knew I would be able to get a job. Um, so I wasn't worried about that. So I didn't really... I didn't set it up. I just went over and had a trial in a restaurant uh, that went really well. And then um, I rang the head chef, Kieran Glennon, and to ask him his opinion, like, where should I go? I'm in London now. Where would you recommend? And um, we, my old sous chef in Gibos, Ross Bryans, was the head chef in uh, Pollen Street Social. So Jason Atherton's restaurant. So um, that was an obvious move for me. So he was in there. I had a meet and a trial with him. And, that's sort of that was my big step into the sort of London life, which was like, um, yeah, it was definitely a change of scenery. It was kind of, um, uh, I, I love at the beginning, I sort of, I don't know how I felt about London. I thought it was going to be this whirlwind life where like I'm making loads of friends and all of this, but like it's just like you're going anywhere, you're starting a job, you put your head down, and you sort of hope for the best. And that was the sort of. That was the start of my London life. And um, yeah, that was great. I don't, um, what else? What else would you like to know? So you're in London and obviously you learned from the best there and absorbed quite a bit. Were you always thinking about, like, did you always know you would come back home or was that something that you were like, I'm going to see where this whole thing takes me. And if, I guess I'm interested in what was the, like the moment where you were like, all right, it's time to it's time to leave London. It's time to come back. Like, what was going through your head at that time? Or was it part of a plan? So, like, if anyone's, if anyone, like, well, mainly my wife will not be best, but, like, I generally don't plan. I'll sort of go week on, week out. Someone asks me to do something, I say, yes, I, I'll do it, even if I don't know if I can. And um, so I never really had a major plan. I, I never, I always knew I'd come back to Ireland, always. I didn't know when. I think the main sort of, drive was sort of when I met my then girlfriend Claire and my wife when we got together I sort of like she was Irish as well she was in London a little bit before me and um, then I knew I was definitely going to move home at some stage so that was sort of one of the major catalysts to sort of 
leave Pollentry Social. So I was there for like two years. I was a sous chef there, uh, getting on like, getting on really well. Like hours, not gonna lie, hours were like really tough. There were like weeks where you could do like six days, but that was a sort of given for London. That was it, like the sort of, it was if you wanted to sort of be a senior chef, one of that like sort of sous chefs, like you, you make sure that the kitchen works. So if that means that you need to be there, you need to be there. But um, I sort of, I was thinking a bit ahead then, that I was, if I'm ever going to move home, there's a possibility that I'll be running my own kitchen or you never know, I might have my own restaurant one day. My only experiences in restaurants were Gibo's and Pollen Street Social. And they're like institutions where like, in my head, I was like, I'll never have one of those restaurants. Like the money behind them is huge. And like, they're just like, it never seemed realistic for me to own one of uh, Pollen Street Social or Restaurant Batagulo. So um, I wanted to see the sort of, I wanted to see a different side of kitchen. So I left there and hope uh, working in a sort of smaller restaurant, possibly doesn't have any mission stars and maybe an in and ran and owned by the chef. So like, that's what I was sort of looking for. Like somewhere, it was mainly I wanted to see a different style of kitchen. Like I worked like, in Gibos and Polity Social, and they're pretty much the same. Same setup, the same, how things are run. Like, um, not much difference. Like, obviously, the food is different, yada, yada. But I did. I never seen something new. So that's where it brought me to the ninth, where I met sort of John Tanaka, and he was opening up the ninth. And he was just, he sort of, from the get-go, he was just super impressive. Just his mannerisms, like, how he was talking to me. Like, uh, yeah, I was kind of drawn to him straight away. And, I came on for a month's trial. Like he was looking for like a sous chef then to be head chef. And so my first week was like mind blowing because I never seen, I never seen a chef act like him. Like he was, even though in Gibo was like, you have the two head chefs that are in in the morning and like they do prep. They, they work in Gibo's, they work the same hours as the, as everyone else. So that's where, what what we you don't really appreciate it. We go to some kitchens that maybe chefs aren't there all the time if they're sort of going in and out. But like Gibo's was like that. Pollentry Social was sort of sometimes like that because it was such a bigger operation that like the head chef sometimes they'll have to go over to one of the other uh, kitchens to help and da da da. So it was kind of spread out. But then when I got into the ninth, like John was like, I've never seen anything like it. Like he was in in the morning prepping like a machine. Like I've never seen someone prep fish or anything like that in my entire life like just so precise clean and super focused super quiet and the food was like he he deemed it casual and i was like okay cool like it was i knew the plating was casual and i seen pictures of the dishes that he was intending to do and then when i got into the kitchen and the prep we were doing like we we're making chicken mousses we were we were breaking down every single bit of meat every single bit of fish it was like it was like being back in patrick gilbo but like the atmosphere was different. Like there was music on. I've never heard music in a kitchen before. Like there was younger chefs. So like sort of younger, like sort of English guys and French guys and Italian guys. And they all seemed quite cool, you know? And like, I was still a bit sort of like sort of quiet and like, uh, yeah, I wouldn't really end up from like eight in the morning to about 12 o'clock in the morning, like 12 PM, whatever. I'd go stay really quiet and I'd do my work as fast as I can. And the guys were chatting and laughing and talking to each other. I found this just bizarre. I didn't really understand how they were getting their work done, but still, like, they were enjoying it. Like, even though I'm saying that another kitchen didn't enjoy it, but it was a different mentality and atmosphere. And so that really sort of, I didn't really know what was going on, but I still stuck to my, I was on, got put on fish section by John and I prepped all my fish. I was ready. Da, 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 da. And then the first service came and all the food was going to chef to the pass and, the first thing that I knew when I knew that I'm in the right place was that uh, one of the chefs put something up to the pass and it wasn't, I knew it wasn't right. Whatever it was, whatever it was, it was a sauce that was too loose or I could see that it wasn't correct. And I was waiting for John to send it back and go, it's not right, fix it, which would be the, what I've always seen in any restaurant. You do something wrong, you're told about it and you either have to panic to fix it or some, or it's not good anyway. So I was waiting for that to happen. I seen John assess the problem John himself fixed it and moved on and we carried on with the service. Nothing was said. And I was like, this is crazy. Why is, <laughs> Why is this so I didn't calm. understand. Yeah. It took me, it took me about, uh, it took me about three months to figure out what he was doing. Like he was sort of, he was teaching in a different kind of way. He sort of taught by example, 
fully. Sort of, if something wasn't right, he would sort of fix it in front of the other chef. Not as a point. He wouldn't even go, "Come here, look at this." He would just do it, and that alone made you re like want to do it better the next time. And it just created such a great atmosphere in the kitchen. Um, and I've never seen it like that. Right, and that's what made me want to work there and stay there. And probably, probably the most enjoyable time I've ever had in the kitchen was working at night growing there and becoming head chef there and um yeah and then within like and the reason why i went there is we had no mission stars and even the, the food that we were doing i was like it was the flavors were i've never like the flavors were beyond flavors that like i've done in any restaurant even in gibos or policy social like you taste something and it's just electric and that that was the driver i would always be trying to do dishes and children would be just like saying no like do less or let's not put that garnish on. And I wouldn't understand. I'd be like, no, we're like, we need this. This is how you cook. John sort of taught me a different way and made me understand that it's just flavor is what we're going for. And that. Yeah. I don't want to interrupt you, but it just reminded me of the sauce that you serve with the pork chop. That's like that flavor that yeah. you're like, what, what the fuck am I eating? Like, wow. <laughs> you know, exactly. Like you're looking for that moment of just like, delight that will carry everything else it doesn't matter what it looks like even though ever generally i'm not saying my food or the food in the ninth look bad it just wasn't as uh contrived is contrived the right word is that a bad word to say it's contrived not as like sometimes food can be a bit forced like you need something to lurk it's like at the time you learn you're like wow this food is gorgeous and but if you're actually the chef doing it, it's terrifying. Like I remember, like Gibo's, like I don't think I can still do it. There was one of his signature dishes with a with a pig shot or croquette and a square of Parma ham, and you had to do these like straight lines with with a balsamic reduction around it. It was a real knack. It was a real artistry. I was always so terrified to get it wrong that like I would never even try. So I would just like I would know someone that I could do it better, and I'd sort of sneak it off and go, Kieran, quickly do that. I'm like, thanks. So, like. And when I seen things to be done a different way, but the flavors being in my eyes, probably better. And it just sort of, I was just like, yeah, nearly floored by the, by how differently you can do things. And then, then we won a Michelin star. We were all like, we never even talked about it. It wasn't even mentioned once, like from the opening Nothing. We never mentioned Michelin. We never even talked about it. We never even thought about it. Every single chef that had worked in that kitchen all came from Michelin background. And I think we're looking for something new. And we never talked about it. We sort of had so much, nearly more fun. And we were super busy, but it was never a, yeah, it was never a thought. And then when you see that happening and you realize there's a new way of doing things, like you're like, wow, like this is what moving kitchens is all about. Seeing new points of view how you like to do things and how you don't like to do things and then they can actually work. And that was a sort of bigger, biggest eye opener. And that was when my sort of view changed from food to people. So like John was always, our meetings were always about the staff. Like food was easy. Like food was like, we'd have it, we'd have good, really good ingredients. Right. How do we make it delicious? We'd figure that out in a couple of days by just talking to each other or chatting to the chefs or, um, but the biggest, point of like like any of our meetings was the staff like right how are we looking staff wise is everybody happy like um, are we struggling do we need to change a dish do we need to give the guys more how can we get them to work less hours i've never heard that before in my life how do we get people to work less that was bizarre and like um john was super like organized and focused and like you go into the office every morning he was there first he'd be planning out mock rotas totting up the hours, working the most efficient way for someone to leave earlier. Do we get a cleaner in on a Saturday night to take the load off people on a Saturday night? Stuff like that, which I was never involved in those types of conversations in previous restaurants. Like that was never, I'm not saying it never went on. All these conversations do go on in restaurants. I was just never a part of it. And that's where sort of my growth as a chef moved from food to sort of people. And that's where, that's where I've sort of learned that, base of a good restaurant is the people not the food where i think some people especially when they go into maybe running a kitchen a bit too early everyone's driven on making the, that they think what the customers want and the best food is rather than getting the people around and figure out what they can do best so that's what i learned the most 
So like the answer to the original question was, do you need to leave kitchens? Like, can you work in the same place? You can work in the same place. Yes. But like I had an almost epiphany that like you don't need to work crazy hard and get amazing results as long as you're you've got the right people around you and you're sort of driven, organized and focused and you can have the best of both worlds and be super happy. So that's was, yeah. So like the answer, like if I ever talk to any young chef about moving, especially Ireland, like matter, like Ireland's growing now and there's amazing kitchens. You could, you could spend most of your career just going around to different kitchens, but it's not about that. It's about leaving, getting out of your comfort zone and surviving on your own, learning how to be broke. Like it's nearly a life lesson rather than how to be a good chef. Like you need to learn, you need to know that you can run out of money and like how to fix it. Like, and, and so, yeah, like, I think it's huge. I think it, it, that's, it's funny about other careers. You wouldn't say that. You wouldn't say that about uh, someone in accountancy or you wouldn't say that like, oh, you have to leave. But for me personally, like to be a chef right now, I think I think you do because being a chef is so difficult in terms of like your home life and family life if you don't know how to look after yourself and uh be good to yourself and like life lessons of how to how to live like being away like i don't think i think you'll never like chef and won't work out for you like so and i think that's more about trying to figure out the best way that's what i think you know and so was dublin always the place that you saw yourself returning to like Dublin was uh, would be easy because like I'm from Dublin, I know it, but um, it wasn't actually. We moved me and my wife Claire moved back, and we didn't know where we were going to live. Well, I knew I could go anywhere. Like I knew I could. I'll be honest with you. I thought I could go anywhere. Like I could find a job somewhere or start something. I wasn't really too pushed. It was sort of more. I was more concerned of where sort of like Claire wanted to go. So Claire's a nurse, and I know she spent some time in Galway. So we thought about Galway and um. I think we looked into that for a bit, but the way it worked out was that actually Claire got a job in Dublin. So things just sort of fell into place that way. Like I think um, um, probably best for both of us is not too far from where Claire's parents live. And well, it's at loans, an hour and a half. The loans could be closer, but uh, she got a really good job in, in a hospital. And um, yeah, it sort of fell into place, but then COVID came. So like uh, I think two years we sort of took like, yeah, but Dublin, I like, Dublin was always nearly the dream because like I love Dublin, but I it was more just being in Ireland, the people and yeah, food wasn't the focus moving home really at all. Food moving home was getting a life sorted, like uh getting certain save and buying a house. That was the focus. Like I did the work thing in London, but I like the focus was then like was sort of personal, like let's get our lives together and let's get that sorted and then let's sort of figure out what we want to do. Do we want to have a family? Do we, yeah, because being a chef, like, you'll know, like if you're being a chef, like it's hard to do everything else. So like sometimes you need a bit of a break. So like you need to sort of, and you need your family to tell you when you need a break, like to stop and right. We need to figure this out. Like, so, and that was the focus at that time. And yeah, it's great. So then was opening library street an opportunity that, came to you after you had moved back to Dublin? Yeah. So like I, I, when I moved back, sort of I joined the guys in Alta for like, it was just, I took six months off. I was off for six months. I, I was still going back and forth to London, helping out in the ninth. And um, just a couple of times, there was a few things when I left, there was a few like uh, uh, chefs going away. And I got asked, could you come back for a couple of days, like once a month for a few months? And I was like, definitely, that's really, I'd love to. So I did that for a little while. And then I took a few more months off. And um, I think I was just, I was trying to figure it out. What am I going to do? Where am I going to work? And I was just contacting a few friends, like saying, oh, can I come in for a week just to just to cook and sort of uh, chat them about sort of Dublin and what the food is like? Because I was so, I was gone for like seven years. So like I was completely out of it. So I didn't really know what was going on. And then I, I sort of seen that Alta restaurant was opening up and um, I contacted them and like, same story. I went in there and the people were great and I got drawn to them. So I helped out them for a little while, but then COVID came and uh, then we like, whatever, wherever you are, you just sort of stayed and tried to make the best of it. And I think we did. And um, we did sort of out the box and stuff like that. That was extraordinary. And um, 
But then COVID was lifted and it was sort of back to, right, what am I going to do? And the guys in Alta were leaving the space. So like they were moving on to sort of bigger projects and that state was, that space was free. I still wasn't, I was never thinking like, I need to open up my own restaurant. I need to do this. It was sort of, like I said, I still don't plan major things. I sort of, I try to put myself in the right place at the right time. And then hopefully the sort of dots will sort of join themselves. And, and then, yeah, it just sort of, the opportunity came to sort of the, the guys that own the space, like uh, Dr. Quek and uh, Peng Lo contacted me and asked me that I want to, it was, it was, they literally just said straight away, do you want to, do you, do you want to do it? And like, I had like, I was in, I was in Porto at the time. I think I just came out of a massage and um, like during the day, like I'm getting these like these numbers from Singapore ringing me like and I'm like what's going on I'm like I didn't I heard like I was obviously there was a little bit of contact by a message but like I got back to the department and I, I was more or less being asked to give a business plan and what the restaurant's going to be like and like what's the decor going to be like and I'm just like making up like making things up but like I knew it like in my head like I knew what food I liked what I would like to do and that I had it had a vision I always had something in my head what I like when you work with other people, you sort of start realizing that like when you start not agreeing with everyone else's flavors and the way to do things, you sort of know that you need to be the person directing rather than a collaborative experience. But that's what I learned. Like as being with Alta was good. Then near the end, all of our like visions weren't matching up because I think that's when you know that you need to be the person with the vision. So it couldn't have came at a better time. Like I was sort of, I was feeling that I needed to do something on my own. And I think it's just right place at right time. Again, it was same way back at the beginning when I got a job in Gibos. It just happened by luck that like the restaurant I was working in closed and they needed a chef and I was there. Do you know what I mean? So I think right place, right time and being sort of always sort of driven to do something bigger was what sort of led me to Library Street. That was, uh, yeah, that was great. Um, it was hard at the beginning. I think I had two months. I had two months to go from zero to 100, which was, which was like, hold on. Like, I think I went from, I, no, I started in September. So it was two and a half months. October, November. Yeah. So two and a half months, I think. So I started in like end of September and I opened in like the 20th of November. Like that's going from zero. Also, I had a space that was like more or less, like it wasn't like, building was built but like and the hard works were there i just needed to sort of change the decor the sort of the, the way to sort of because it was a different style of restaurant obviously alta originally was a sort of a smaller number kind of restaurant like i was going for a sort of larger number of sharing style restaurant that that itself sort of had a bit of sort of jigging about but uh, yeah this episode is brought to you by roberta's home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. So wanted to like talk a little bit more about library street in particular, like the format of the menu and the way that the food supports that style of menu. The food isn't casual, but the experience is very relaxed and, and enjoyable. It's not super what you'd call formal, right? You're not doing a multi-course menu. It's not a tasting experience. So like, what was the thought of, what was your thought process with going into that style of format of the, of the way that the food was meant to be enjoyed? 
So like at the beginning, like I always had an idea what I wanted to do. And there was more of a sort of a feeling that I was looking for. So I knew like the, for me, the food is always the easy part. Like I'll know, I'll know what dishes I want to do, what flavors I want to go for. So like um, when I was working, when I was thinking about like what library she was going to be, it was sort of more of a feeling. So um, I just wanted a guest to be able to enjoy themselves as much as possible in terms of, I don't want to be telling them how to enjoy the meal. I want to sort of, the restaurant needs to sort of have the right tools for people to come in, enjoy themselves, like come in time and time again. So like the sharing concept for me is the sort of the best way to get people involved in a meal. So when like dishes go down to the center of the table and they're sharing them around and, and that will bring some people out of their comfort zone. Like they might be used to getting sort of started main course dessert themselves. And, but um, so like that was like sort of, base one so that's the sort of concept of the food it's going to be sharing but like there's so much else that goes into that so like um the feeling of the restaurant you go, need to go in needs to be sort of welcoming and um nearly sort of joyful is what i was sort of going for i think a lot of it like like i, I tried to put as much of my personality without knowing i think you do so like music is a big thing for me like i'm a sort of obsessed by I get obsessed with things and music is one thing. So if I'm in a restaurant and they're playing music and it's terrible, like I can't get that out of my head. Like I'll just be hearing it going like, why would you ever have that? Or when you go into a restaurant and there's no music, like there's certain restaurants where there shouldn't be music like ever. And that's great. But when you go into places where it should, it, I, it boggles my mind how someone doesn't just put it on. So like music was actually nearly one of the sort of first things that I knew that I was going to be doing. So like, um, I always wanted like to so create a feeling with the music and my playlist, I think do that. Like, um, and like I spent like nights just waking up in bed, playing music in my ear, looking for a feeling that it gives you that makes it sort of bop a little bit, but not being intrusive. So that was sort of one thing. And then, um, and then the rest of it was sort of just staffing and like how the front of house sort of treats you when you're, when you're greeted at the, table like it needs to be informal but you need to sort of feel confident that they know what they're talking about so um that was sort of like the sort of hiring was a big thing like my thing was about when i was meeting people was how i felt with them like were they um was their manner good did they seem into the restaurant like when i was telling them about what it's going to be like did they seem excited about it like as much as i sort of was and luckily enough i found all those all those kind of people and um that was the sort of thinking and like, I don't know what else, like I'm sure there's more into it. Like, like, so like even the style of like plates was like, was a thought process. So like a lot of restaurants now will open up and they'll get like handmade plates, which are gorgeous. Like I love going to a restaurant and seeing amazing cutlery and crockery. I pick it up. I look at it. I'm like, wow. Like I love it. But, um, I was sort of going for, like, I wanted the food to speak for itself and tried to be as pared back as possible to give people a feeling of this is a relaxed restaurant. So I, that was the sort of idea behind, like, sort of plain white plates, nothing too fancy. And I think that itself gives off a feeling of just, I think it lets people relax. I know it's a, maybe that's me overthinking it, but I do think the more simple things are, even like just the simple wooden tables with, your knife and fork that are on the wooden table. It's sort of every little touch that you can do in a restaurant will give people a feeling. And we sort of, we, we've thought, I think hopefully we've thought out of most to give people as much as they can for them to enjoy their meal, but sort of, I maybe lift it and sort of make them relax. And that's always the goal. Now, try not, try less. That was always the sort of, but it's actually, there's a lot of work into trying to do less and, pull back it's going to be easier to it, you can keep adding things like oh let's let's do that and it can, it's really easy to buy but like it's kind of harder to sort of work with what you have and that was the sort of the sort of motto in library sheet like going like this is enough to do it like so let's work around that and then the food itself like i don't know like i like to keep like, like the flavors i think should be quite instant i don't think they shouldn't be and they shouldn't make i never want to really scare a guest and make things too complicated and use ingredients like I'm trying to show off and saying, Oh, look at this. It's sort of, it goes against what I like food to be now. I love going to restaurants and seeing things that I've never seen myself, but I'm a chef, but like type people that I want, I want everyone to come into my restaurant and feel that they understand 
what's going on, even to a certain level. So I think the food is a big thing, like sort of restraint and, and yeah, just trying to make the best out of the best things that I can get. So you were saying earlier when you were talking a little bit about your experience in London, about how important keeping the staff happy is. I'm wondering, we're in a time where hiring is super difficult and competition for good workers is really high. How do you manage to keep good staff in a time like this? So like, like from the get-go, like the biggest hurdle was staff. Like it was heard that like you couldn't get staff. And that was a massive hurdle for me. Like I, like it was just me at the beginning and I hired everyone. Like funnily enough, like I would know a lot of people, but all the chefs that I know like are working, like they're working places. Like, and you don't really, like I didn't, I, I, I didn't want to approach people that I knew working in other restaurants to come work for me. I sort of wanted it to be sort of a bit more organic. And, and so like, I luckily enough hired a super nice team, but like my main focus was like, I can't run this kitchen on my own. Like I can't, it's great having me there and writing a menu and making recipes. But like if any of these people at one point stop being here, like I can't open the door. So the whole focus for the front and the back of house was like, how do we make it sustainable for us? Like working here, like to make us want to stay here and work here. So, when we first opened, we only opened for four days. So that was like Wednesday to Saturday. So four days. And I knew that if I could keep it to that, then the chefs would definitely, chefs on front of house would definitely have guaranteed Sunday, Monday off. And then most of the people might have Tuesday off. So like, even if we have a really busy Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we can all unwind, relax. And even if, the week ahead is busier. We could come into Tuesday and I don't feel that it will be overloading anybody. So that was the focus, making sure that the, the are, we are sustainable. Like it's fair enough people talking about doing a sustainable restaurant and sourcing food ethically. And that's always like, what people don't understand is good chefs do that without thinking. Like you do it. Like it's, you don't have to be told, but like our focus was to make the restaurant sustainable. Like if, there's no point in me having a restaurant that one day I have no chefs and I can't open the doors. So like, so that was the biggest driver, but don't get me wrong. Like we opened, like I wasn't really expecting it, but like from day one, we were full, like we were flat out. Like, and it did come to a certain level where like, we were like, Oh my God, they're, they're looking at me going, Kev, like this is super busy. Like, what are we going to do? Like there was times where we didn't have enough equipment, like that, like things just exponentially grew. Like we went from doing, 25 to thinking that's busy to be doing 50 as a as a basic and like doing that like within a week like is a real shock to a restaurant even doing you say like oh doing four days but if you're doing four days like in from 10 30 into a 10 30 at night and intense it's the same as doing six days so we needed so that was another hurdle that i need to figure out to fix so we moved on to hiring another member of a team and like I was like, remember after one service, like we were so like it was our first hundred percent capacity night, and we sold something like I don't know, let's say like forty risottos or something stupid, and like I think I only had two pans or something like that. Like, and Will, my sous chef, turned to me and goes, "Yeah, like, this is like," and Will like was cooking at the time, and he's a seriously good chef, and then um, he was like, "Kev, like," and I was like. Don't worry about it. I've got it sourced. And I got up at eight in the morning that morning. And it's like, and I just drove to Nisbet's, the sort of catering shop. And I just parked right on the curb. I went in there, filled the trolley with like pans, like uh, like peeler. And I've seen like it was nearly trying to plug a hole, like with fingers, all the leaks by just like making sure we have enough. I think. Um, so I found that funny. So that, that was like, I was nearly just trying to make sure that like the staff weren't would leave. Like, you know what I mean? Cause I, I was seeing it was getting too busy for us all. And what I was luckily enough is that I hired guys, like guys and girls that like were really loyal to me. I think that like, I'd like to think that they feel that I work as hard as them and like hopefully harder because I should work harder because I, I, they don't get paid as much as I do. So why would, why should they work harder than me? If you know what I mean, that's what I think some places don't understand. Like I should be the one working hardest. And I think I'm hoping they've seen that and they came to me at the right time and were honest with me and said like, Kev, this is too difficult. Like, and they let me know 
without being spiteful or talking my back and saying like, oh, I think they like I always cared and I was quite it was always a policy of if someone has a problem, they tell me and I'll fix it to the best of my ability. So if someone is finding something difficult, they knew that they could sit me down and go, this isn't really working. We need to change hours or whatever. It was like a really open policy. And we had so much of these conversations within the first two months of like, I'd be preempting it. So I could, you can get a feeling from your team when things are difficult. You can get a feeling and, and like I would just pull heaven in the morning, right guys, like black and white, what do we think? And then they'd tell me, and then I would just fix it. Like I would change it. I would either change a dish, take a dish off, or I would ensure that we have enough containers, like, to fit in the fridges like they're the things that actually make your life hard in, in kitchens like you can do the covers and do the numbers but if you don't have the sort of the bricks and mortar around it to be able to do it like you go into breakdown mode and you panic and i've been there so like i know i don't want anyone else to feel like that so that is always the bigger driver it's, yeah that's always the driver like can yeah making the kit the restaurant sustainable so like it's fair enough getting fancy ingredients and, and and putting them on the menu nonstop. But if it's not sustainable for the chefs to be doing it and doing it at a right level, um, I don't think it works. So like, that's the number one reason why a lot of my menu will say the same for a certain length of time. It's because I'll, it takes me about two weeks to crack a dish. So to be happy with it and feel comfortable plating it and, and getting the right technique and how to prep it and where to store it in the fridge and how to store it efficiently. Cause, and then like, if you start keep that on for a month and do that again with another month, like you'll be constantly, we'll be constantly chasing our tails and like there'll just be freezers full of old ingredients and I can't do that. Yeah. So the main driver is just making sure happiness is one thing. Like you'll always try to make everyone as happy as possible. But the number one as a restaurant like owner or running a restaurant is your job is to make sure that they can do their job and that you're making sure that their hours aren't excessive. If you're not doing that, I think you're like, you might as well forget the food because. And I think a lot of times people don't actually realize that those, how important those factors are. So they focus on the food, they focus on the menu and they kind of ignore what the toll it might be taking on, on the cooks or even on the servers to like learn a bunch of new stuff. I know it comes up with wine all the time where there's, you know, the a wine menu changes and then, all, and then a server has to like basically acquire like an a whole bunch of like new knowledge and feel comfortable with it really, really fast. And those things can be like, yeah, a lot of times those expectations are unrealistic of, of people to have. Completely. And I like, it's so funny. Like it's the things you learn that it goes back to like going to restaurants and seeing new things. And like the number one, my most, my, the day that I dreaded most was restaurant at the menu changing day because you never really like, especially as like a chef's party, you never really, uh, or like even as a sous chef, if there was like five sous chefs, like you never truly knew what the new menu was going to be. Like it was sort of, and the chef wouldn't really know themselves either. They'd be like, we're going to do this, this, and this. Just you have a puree ready. You have this garnish ready. And you'd have all this double prep in your fridge and you'd be panicking. And then nine times out of 10, the dish doesn't make the menu and you're just left with all this double prep and you're just like, so I always vowed that I would never, if I'm changing it, changing a dish, like I'll only ever do one or two dishes at a time, one dish at a time. And I'd always do the first week of prep. And that's what I learned from John. Like when John was making a new dish, I always found it extraordinary as well. Like he would make every single element of that dish. He would test it himself. We'd all try it. But he would also make it, it wouldn't be just one portion, then he'd go, right, do it. He would make a week full of mise en place, like a week, like labels, backpacks, sections, and then bring the chef over. And then, so that, like seeing those things and learning those things is like worth its weight of gold. You need to be shown how to do things. Like nobody will be able to just be an amazing manager, amazing chef. Like you need to know how. So like, Unless you're shown these things, you'll you like you'll always be chasing your tail and wondering why I'm so stressed and why. Yeah. You'll always be wondering why. Well, I'm wondering whether we have a little time to talk about like what's coming for you after your success of Library Street and you're gonna be a, a new parent soon. So like what's what's on the horizon for you? What does the next year look like? Well, the next year, obviously, like you've mentioned, parenthood is coming. So parenthood is gonna be like 
biggest thing probably to ever happen me and my wife ever like it's so like that's like in two months away which i'm like super excited about that's like right now like that is like the biggest thing i'm looking forward to like uh meet my new son and spending a lot of time and like i'm i'm sort of i'm restaurant wise i'm working on sort of hopefully i've got someone coming in to sort of cover me for like two months so i can take some time off and be there and um um that is a big big driver for me at the moment making sure the restaurant is sort of set up um in good hands which i know it is like all the chefs that i have have there are exceptional and my sous chef william is like probably one of the like at my when i was his age i wasn't half as good so like i'm so happy to i'll be i'll i'll happily i'll be at home and comfort known at the restaurant and say fans but in terms of like restaurant wise like there's a big i have a big big focus in just making library street better for the guests so there's a lot of things happening right now so like i'm getting sort of this internal works to the restaurant done just updating the sort of the decor and uh putting some padding on the seats there's a we have a bench along the wall which is gorgeous but i think um uh yeah, I think the guests deserve a bit of a cushion now. I think we're in year, nearly year they've two. Earned it. So. Yeah, they've really earned it. They've earned it. So I the, actually the focus is like we, what I've realized is like this is the first restaurant that started from the ground up. That you only really know what, you, what you're capable of and what the customers want and t- is like now. So we've been open a year and a half. And I know now know how much covers we can do comfortably by, and giving the guests the best amount of time. So like, I've only like, it's like, I'm sort of like, I'm starting now really at the beginning it was like a whirlwind and trying to push things to the limit in terms of get revenue. And, but I think we have our sort of the best sort of mix of how much cover is to giving a guest the best experience. So we're just trying to, yeah, improve on the restaurant, how to make the service as best as possible and, and, and making the, yeah, yeah. Just improving on the restaurant, whether like, other things like in the short term, whatever, like doing little projects and stuff like that. I don't really like now with a new son coming in the way, like my time is going to be focused for him. So like I have the restaurant in a really good place and I have got amazing people there. And um, yeah, the focus is to make Library Street better because like Library Street isn't here just for, it's not a pop-up, like it's not here for like a year or two years. And then I leave, like I don't foresee myself leaving. There's no plan for me to, wow now i'm gonna go off and do this like people that like gave me the opportunity to to open this restaurant like i i couldn't thank them enough and uh, um yeah i see myself in library street indefinitely how whatever that word means but um yeah trying to make library street a continued success in terms of being the new restaurant that get lots of covers is great but if you can't sustain it and keep customers interested like there's there's no point really like so that's the focus making sure that the customers are happy and well we first we you know we started talking at the beginning of this conversation about how a lot of the restaurants that you had worked in you felt like they were institutions and you never really thought you could do something like that and now here we are talking about how you know library street really has the potential to be one of those kinds of places which is really incredible i suppose yeah no i'm really people always say to me like oh i should be proud and i'm like yeah no i am proud but i'm still like i'm not finished like it's like you know when you say someone like are you proud of an achievement like i haven't really achieved anything in my eyes like i've opened a restaurant that is working and i'm really happy like i still think there's more to do if you know what i mean i am super happy don't get me wrong but like it's not over you see like a lot of more things can happen and you can make it better and you can make it not better in terms of yeah i think uh, there's always more to do and um, and that's the way I see it. So I'm never really, um, yeah. I don't think I'll ever be done in terms of like you'll never be done. But like, just finding the right mix of home life and making sure that everyone working there is happy. And um, for me, that's a successful restaurant when you can look back and say, yeah, I think I've done an okay job and people were happy. So well that's said. Great. Yeah. Well, Kevin, thanks for spending this time talking to us and sharing all this about your told you i can wrap i know don't worry about (laughs) no it was great dyed green is powered by simplecast thanks for listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you 
Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe. Dyed Green is a project of Bog and Thunder, whose mission is to highlight the best of Irish food and culture through food tours, events, and media. Find out more at bogandthunder.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any story suggestions, questions, or things you'd like to share in response to our broadcast, you can email us directly at dyedgreen at heritageradionetwork.org.